and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Todd Brian Backus, and today I'll be joined by the cast of our Blades in the Dark adventure, as well as our GM, Elliot. Today we're here to talk about our first campaign of Season 2 and how it went. So let's go around and share names, pronouns, and roles in the campaign, starting with Elliot. Hi, I'm Elliot. Uh, I use she, they pronouns, and I was the GM for this campaign. Hi, my name is Ren. I use she, her pronoun, and I played Ellery Crow in this campaign. Hi, I'm Nick. Uh, I use he, him, and I played Milos Jeduin, the spider. Hi, y'all. Uh, my name is T, uh, or Tess. I use she or they pronouns, and I played uh, Princess Morena with a lot more names, uh, <laughs> who was our <laughs> Lurk, I think. Yeah, that was the playbook. Yep, Lurk. Hi, I'm Whitney. I played Wick. My pronouns and their pronouns were they, them. And I was the Leech. Hi, I'm Dex. I go by he, him, and I played Gabe in this most recent campaign. Also, I thought it was Bacchus this whole time. It's Bacchus? Oh, yeah. It's just, <laughs> no. uh, we're not fancy. We're just like poor mm. Irish people. Oh, hello, I'm Todd Brian not, Bacchus. Not, not the Greek god. <laughs> not the Greek god. <laughs> just like poor Irish corruption of Baker's house is my understanding. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's the etymology of my name. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for your introductions. Um, so to kick things off, uh, players, I believe um, outside of the one shot, no one has played Blades in the Dark before, right? I had not, no. Excellent, nope. excellent. Nor had I. Um, so knowing that, knowing that all of you were like diving into this system for your second uh, time playing for any amount of time, um, how did that go? What were like mechanics that you really dug? Um, were there things that caught you off guard? Like, what was it like for you playing this game? A lot of the like, smaller mechanics i felt like we learned in the one shot and then uh ellie did a really good job as we were building characters of reminding us of them and then we kind of all collectively just like let them fall to the wayside in favor of what was a really interesting story um like i think very few of us used our special moves at all i think like maybe a couple of us used them in the first of the two sessions, but like, I don't think any of us used them in the second session, if I can remember correctly. Uh, and so like, that's not a bad thing in any capacity. I think that you as role players find the mechanics that work with you and your play style. And I think we found that in a really healthy way. I was just really interested in like listening back to that um, character creation. I was like, Oh yeah, there's the whole side of things that we just didn't, touch on um which not again was cool and was interesting yeah to add on to that i feel like um you mentioned this briefly but i think elliot did a really good job of making the rules grokkable for us so we were really more focused on just having a good time and telling a fun story rather than am i doing this correctly because the blades in the dark rulebook is like 300 pages something like 350 something like that and elliot was just like this is what you need to know and then, like, anything we didn't, they were able to just catch it and help us immediately. So it was just really nice. Uh, you all didn't see all of my, like, prep for that, where, like, I had a whole, like, document for the session zero of my character creation. Because all that stuff is, like, in several different places throughout the book and then references other stuff in the book. So it's like, let me just get this all, like, in one line document to run down. And it took a while, but it was worth it. <laughs> 
I also want to applaud Elliot's uh, preparation because having messed around with Blades in the Dark a little bit post our recording, I was like, wow, they did a, like now I know now I'm aware how much legwork you did, Elliot, to like get that all set up and easy to access. Half of it was for me to learn the rules, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting looking at I'm going to call this a rules heavy game, uh, very similar to I think how D&D is a rules heavy game. Because last year we did Apocalypse World, and I am very used to PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse games, where it's like, rule generation's usually like a couple pages. It's like four pages straight across, and it's like, fill out this chart. And I've always found rules heavy games, rules heavy games really cumbersome when it comes to character creation. Like, whenever I play d and I always forgot, like, some piece of it. Uh, and... Having it all streamlined in the Roll20 for us was super, super helpful. Also doing uh, character creation in our, like, trial game, and then again in Session Zero, uh, I thought really streamlined the process. So I don't know whose idea it was to do the, like, trial game. I think it was Elliot's as well, but great idea. It was super, super helpful. Absolutely. I'm hoping that we can do that with uh, the rest of our games this season, because I thought it was really useful. Just that to, was like, super helpful for me, too, yeah. Yeah. I took, but, like, some notes afterwards of just, like, cool, forgot that, forgot that, forgot that, touch up on it. <laughs> I definitely think that being able to run the one-shot was really helpful in terms of learning the rules, but also in terms of approaching the the plot of the actual campaign that we wanted to run for the podcast not be daunting, um, I think being able to just kind of troubleshoot all of that and then just figure out what what story we kind of wanted to tell, I think, too, was uh, very helpful. Um, the one thing that I'd say uh, about Blades in the Dark in comparison to the other TTRPGs that I've played is that this one does seem, even with all the rules in place, very much more geared towards the narrative as opposed to anything else. And that's been... I think that that was the most fun that I had in the podcast is the fact that it came down to what was the most interesting storytelling choice for what we were doing and not necessarily like, oh, this is what I have the most skill in, so I'm going to do that. I haven't played a lot of these roleplay games, um, so this is still relatively new to me, so please correct me if this is wrong. But I felt like... Blaze in the Dark put a lot of emphasis on on teamwork to the point of it's actually a part of the mechanism. Like, I remember the... What's the mechanism called? Like, you could you could assist others? Mm-hmm. Um, take stress. I think it's just called assist. <laughs> I said, it's, yeah, it's called assist, and you take stress. And then those are the things that are built in in the game rules and game mechanisms to ensure you actually work together and then all of the roles you kind of take on a sort of group dynamic that is unique to this particular game that in comparison to i mean i've really only played dnd and um pathfinder which are very similar the role, the group dynamic in in those are a little bit more freeform, as opposed to this one. I think you literally um, they're inspired by archetypes, and you have different unique functions. 
Um, and at the same time, with this particular band of misfits, we also discovered a lot of new and fun and uh, seriously chaotic things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do love that it uh, really mechanizes that um, team building aspect that I think a lot of um, PBTA games try to do to like focus on like how your characters are related as opposed to as Nick has said many times in something like D&D or Pathfinder where you kind of like have to go fill out a tax form on your own to build a character and then you bring it with you and you hope you carried over all of the things properly um, all of that like team building both in character creation and in just like how you can help one another is really great one thing that I think is really potent, and especially considering two of the three games you all or we did uh, last season, um, D&D, which feels like a game that you can win because of its history as a war game, and then Paranoia, which is inherently a game where you can win because it's competitive and PvP. Like, this game incentivizes having complex relationships with one another, but, like, it's not a game that individuals win because so much of it comes down to the crew and like you have a crew playbook which again i think there were some like crew moves that we didn't really touch on so audience you didn't get to hear that very much but they have lots of skills that you can get and you can like level up your crew and move to new locations get like a tailor or get like bodyguards and like advance your crew in certain directions to really sculpt this narrative of a group that is growing and the lore of blades in the dark is so vast to the point where like it can be a little bit overwhelming like when elliot sent us that like session zero list of uh uh like rival gangs and organizations it's like two pages of just four columns of names and it's a little overwhelming but if you play long enough you start to realize like the reason it is so in-depth is because you are trying to become an organization in your own right that fits into this world. And it's not about your individual journeys, even though that is important too. It is equally about like the crew becoming a force to be reckoned with. To say nothing of the fact that it, it sets itself up as a game where... Uh... I, I think that everybody's played at least one version of a campaign where you just go and you deal with your problems by killing people and there's no consequences. Um, and, and sitting down to a game like this where you are trapped in a sandbox, a sandbox that has a lot of different options for you to explore, but you get to a point where you have to think about the long-term consequences of your actions, I think made it really interesting for us in terms of some of the choices that we made. I think it came up more in the one shot than it did in our campaign per se, but we did actually have to talk about, okay, as a group, if we make this choice, these will be the consequences. And I think that that was another interesting layer of dynamic that you might not get in other uh, other games. Absolutely. The, the GM transparency is something that we thought was a really cool aspect of this game. Um, um, on a more storytelling note, like shifting gears here, what were parts of the narrative that that surprised you or places you pushed in directions that you didn't expect to or moments that really excited you? Just like looking back on the campaign, what were some of the things that you were really pumped about? Uh, for those of you who can't see us, which is everyone, uh, all of us just started laughing. 
uh, because it was a very surprising campaign. <laughs> Truly. I mean, I, I guess I'll say one of my most delightful and also like surprising moments was when Wick, I think it's Wick, right? It just like split the, the heart of Kotar in half. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was just like the... W- are you going to correct my memory, Todd? Uh, listening back, it was a certain, certain lovely himbo uh, with the <laughs> oh, machete. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we had long discussions about it as a group. And I can't remember who actually did the deed. Um, no, yeah, but I was going to say there's a part in the audio where I just say what a lot. And that was like partly partly playing up Milos, but also partly me like covering for time because I was just like, I don't I like actually don't know like how to respond to this and like how to move forward. <laughs> so there were there were both things like going on there. <laughs> I mean, the thing that broke me was when Tess was like, OK, so here is the natural end to this score. But what if instead uh, we don't do that and we go steal a mummy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and we did. Yeah, and then like y'all rolled really well. <laughs> we did. And now I have a cabaret show. Uh, for me, I think one of the biggest things was the way that the fail forward mechanic influenced the story. Like... And, like, the success and, like, how Elliot, like, spun successes. Um, when Whitney, as Wick, was having the, like, I'm going to stare off uh, with... Suresh. Suresh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to have the stare off with Suresh. And Elliot was like, you succeeded. And then they were, then they were like... And he blushes and looks away. And it was just, like, such a minor thing that set up this such, like, cascading effect of... Ultimately, what ended up being, like, I think one of the most, like rounded arcs of the thing like it actually had a like narrative completion to it uh and i think for a one shot or which is basically what this was like a short run season having like narrative completion feels really unlikely uh so having that like one massively successful role trigger into this story was really funny I mean, I still think about Philomena sometimes. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I love her. Philomena was like the she was the breakout star of our <laughs> of our campaign. Milos's romances were a highlight for me. <laughs> I think there was only one. I think it was right. Yeah, it was just her. Yeah, it was just her. Just the one. She was just there a lot. <laughs> I like that Nick's note was like, never speak to this woman again. (laughs) (laughs) And then she just kept coming back. I still can't believe the, I'm going to try and back gracefully out of this situation. (laughs) So are you seeing anybody? (laughs) I think that that goes along really well, though, with uh, what Tess said about the entire concept of narrative failures because all of the I think truly hilarious moments of the campaign came from things that would have been a failure of our original goal and then the consequences were narrative instead of just like it didn't do the thing you wanted it to do Uh, and I think that being able to use like Suresh and Philomela as, as kind of those consequences made it just a lot more entertaining to play through I mean, it's a fun thing to do as a GM. Like when Milos was like uh, going to go visit his friend and in the office that it was like, oh, you like fail on some some role. Who's going to be at the door but Philomela? (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to apologize to Philomela for um, <laughs> dropping her in the middle of the the goober ride. The Philomela Ellery seeds were so delightful. Like, it was... Truly, s- truly. Such, like, Ellery being the, like, there, there, I'm here for you, girl. Like, old, wizened character. And then being like, also, bye. <laughs> yeah, it was very, like, like, drunk girls in a bathroom kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, we've touched on this a little bit, but I really enjoyed um, this kind of tongue-in-cheek take on Duskfall. And I wondered, for each of you, um, what was your, like, most exciting romantic subplot? Like, which of those two for you was it? I mean, I kind of triggered the one, so I'll go first. Wicked Suresh was, like, the love of my life. Though, uh, I will always stand by, um, wow, I can't remember, uh, Morena's- Rosalind? yep. <laughs> Rosalind and Morena's, like, little, like, I'm gonna use you, but also, like, we both are using each other, was a fun dynamic to play with Elliot. And, like, I'm really comfortable with Elliot to play, uh, those kinds of relationships. Elliot and I worked together for, like, two years now, so, like, totally comfortable being like hey like this isn't a healthy relationship let's go um because it's a safe place to explore that kind of thing much in that same regard uh i did i did grow to really enjoy the whole subplot of wick and suresh which is why the the ending for wick was what it was um i had never approached a romantic subplot with any of my characters in a tabletop game before and at first I was not thrilled by the idea of it and Tess and I had an off off air conversation about if I was okay with continuing that and I was like you know I think that this is a fun way to see where this goes um so we did continue with it and I and I did end up really enjoying it I thought it was absolutely hilarious the entire time it was happening (laughs) I mean, from the like the point of like the uh, from like the standpoint of the GM who was playing all of the NPCs, I found like Philomela more fun to play because she was so hysterical so much of the time. Like just after a breakup, like on the verge of tears all the time, and these terrible things kept happening to her because of this crew. <laughs> like it was just it was so much fun to get into that mindset of like cool, I'm having the worst day ever multiple days in a row because of these people. I think I loved the Philomela and Milos relationship so much because it just kind of bled into the rest of the story as well. Um, So like she became part of Rand's story. She was in, she's seeking counseling from Gabe now at the end of, <laughs> at the, end of the day. Um, So we, we were just able to like tie her into everything. So she was this, this thread that kept us together. Um, But also I just, every single time Milos was just like gatekeep gaslight girl boss, this poor <laughs> woman. I was like, I feel so bad. And yet this is so charming. <laughs> I, I was similarly going to say I really loved Wick and Suresh, partly because, it, as Tess mentioned, it did have that kind of like nice sense of completion to it. Maybe also because I felt like the the way it was initially set up, I felt so much pressure to like continue being an asshole in the <laughs> Philomela thing to like keep have keep the bit going. Um, but yeah, I I really loved Wick and Suresh personally. Bye. But let me just add, the whole Milos and Philomela was very Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth. 
maybe not that similar because Elizabeth wouldn't have been so hysterical, but like Axel was saying, she was such a big part of this crew. And if we ever wanted to turn this into a miniseries, it's probably from her point of view. <laughs> well, this campaign is called Philomena's Worst Day. <laughs> it's a, a dating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dating sim, and she's the main character. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, there really wasn't like all too much like romantic stuff with Milos and Philomela. It was just like, like a lot of it was from the players themselves. Like Nikki had said, "Oh yeah, you wanted Milos to find like a connection, whether that is like friendship or romantic." So everyone just kept like really wanting to push those two together. There was a lot of instigating. Mm-hmm. The in-party drama was also really fun because it was never, like, antagonistic and, like, we're working against each other's goals. It was a lot of, like, Morena's gonna make fun of Milos because he's stuffy and old. And then, like, Gabe was not intentionally antagonistic towards Morena, but, like, just by the nature of how lovely and charming he was did everything that would piss Marina off. And it was such an interesting, like, family dynamic and found family dynamic. And, like, in the same way where you, like, siblings annoy siblings and, like, parents annoy kids, it had that kind of, like, found family, really interesting, healthy dynamic. Like Marina writing that letter to Suresh. <laughs> I did nothing wrong, and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> very wholesome antagonism. It is very wholesome. Uh, before we recorded this, I listened again to the last, like the very, very last um, section, because I had to leave during that recording session. Um, and there's this moment where all of you break character to discuss all of the chaotic things each of you wants to do with the heart separately like you're not conferring with one another you're like i as morena want to do this i as ellery crow want to do this as wick this is my intention uh, and there was like a roll off um to determine what would happen um but i wanted to to kind of like um, think back on the campaign, and now that it's over, what is the wildest thing you wanted to do, but then back down from? Like, what's the craziest impulse you had that you were like, actually, no, this might be too much. You know, to 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 Tessa's credit, I think she actually pushed me to do everything that I wanted to do. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> she was like. Ugh. I'm not going to be a chaos gremlin here, but I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, you know what? Me too. I'm going to just go for it. Like, I remember us getting back to the to the um, Centuria Club and we found the body. And then Tess was like, should we do this? Should we do this? And I was like, we're doing this. We're, we're taking the body, right? And then it just kind of like morphed into this thing. of We were just like egging each other on. We're like, we're definitely take, we're taking the body. We have to. We're get, we already have the body. So we're going to we're going to go with it now. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. Um, I think playing off Dex in a lot of capacities was really, really entertaining. Uh, also, because Dex and I uh, worked together last year um, 
and have done some other games since then. But being able to like really directly like butt heads in character, but also like out of character, be like, we're going to be the worst this time. Um, <laughs> was really fun. I don't think there was an impulse that until like the very, very end with um the roll off. And I think honestly, the only reason I wasn't able to like swap it out and like frame my cousin is because I didn't win the roll off at the end there. Like, I think that was the only impulse where I was like, no, no. Uh, but I think that goes back to what Whitney was saying earlier with like, uh, because this is a limited run campaign and like, while there are uh, consequences for our characters in the long term, we don't have to play those consequences. So, like, we can be a little chaotic. We can be a little, like, destructive. Um, wasn't quite the one shot where it was like, all right, we're all going to rack up as much stress as we can in this one shot because we might as well. Um, but still, lots of, lots of big, bold choices because the timeline allowed us to do that. I was going to say, I'm not actually sure I can think of anything that I like backed down from. Not that not that I can remember offhand, but I also was a little less. I felt that both like the the character Milos ended up being and to some extent, actually, the spider playbook, which leans fairly heavily toward like social situations and um, and and like support, actually, of the other playbooks uh just didn't lend itself as much to like the big chaos making <laughs> as much as say the cutter can uh maybe you know there's just like more more tools for obvious chaos there yeah i feel the same way i actually feel like i tend to end up being the killjoy of the group as well in a lot of the campaigns that i've been a part of like i so my character was the slide and so the concentration is also in terms of social, like, deception, and you don't really try to cause a lot of chaos. Like, being with all of you, uh, I felt like Ellery was inspired to be a lot more chaos and crazy than I would have been. So kudos yeah i i would say first of all i certainly don't think that ellery or goober was ever a killjoy of the campaign (laughs) um but uh i think on wick's behalf maybe the only thing that i saw a possibility in that we've steered away from was in the final the final push when we were trying to get around all of the um, hollows to get to Suresh and the rest of that group. There was a brief conversation about just blowing the whole street up and going in. Um, and as as someone who set up the combat side of their character to be blow it all to hell and go straight on in, uh, I thought that that was enticing. But I also enjoyed more the solution that we came up with as a group um which i think just goes back to the idea of almost every chaotic thing that we wanted to do i think we accomplished and if we didn't it was because someone else had a better chaotic idea to explore Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) nice nice okay so i have a question but i'm not sure if this is one that anyone necessarily has fun answers to so like whatever um but one thing that we've asked in the past is like 
is there anything you would have done differently looking back? It sounds like we really were excited about the things that we did and followed a lot of chaos gremlins um, on the way, which is great. Um, but like, is there anything looking back that you're like, ah, I wish I did this or like, I wish I used that move at some point or. The only thing I have is a mechanical thing. Um, and I think Elliot did a really phenomenal job of telling us this and we promptly didn't listen to them, um, which was the uh, like, hey, don't overplan your scores. I think we spent a lot of time being like, all right, so here's what we're, how, here's how we're going to do it. Here's what we're going to do. And I think Elliot 100% was like, but like, don't do this. And we're like, no, absolutely. But like one more thing. And <laughs> we all, uh, I'm going to say we all, but I know I did it a couple times. Like, especially I'm not putting words in anyone else's mouth, but I think mechanically the issue I think we run into with uh, a podcasting medium where it is intended for consumption by other people is you want to make sure the story is interesting. And also as theater artists, we are all storytellers and that is a big part of what we do. And so we were all like, well, we want to make sure the story is as good as possible, but also mechanically like the game tells you to kind of be a little bit more free form. And though Morena is a uh, chaos Muppet, wild, flailing everywhere. I, Tess, am not because I am very like type A. I want to be in control of everything narratively. Uh, and so I know mechanically for me, I would have loved to let the chaos of the game be the chaos of the game a little bit more. Yeah. I, I'll just say, Tess, I, that wasn't just you. I And I've said this elsewhere on the podcast, so I won't say too much now. But I also had a very hard time like switching my brain, as it were, into Blades in the Dark mode of like, OK, no, plan like kind of what the rule book suggests is like plan nothing and just use. You know, I, I left thinking like, oh, I wish I'd used that flashback mechanic more often because I at least didn't really. I felt I, I think just from habit from other RPGs, I felt so like uh, I have to, you know, I have like the list of items I have and my wits and I have to solve the like problems with that when that's actually not, you know, kind of the intention. Um, so, yeah, I also wish that I had spent less time planning and more time improvising. <laughs> yeah, it's like the plan is literally just literally just like what's your like What's like your your not like your goal, but like what's your method of whatever you're doing it? One detail, get going. Um, I wish I used a voice or something. <laughs> um, this is not necessarily something that I wish I had done differently, so much as it's something that I would love to try in a future Blades in the Dark campaign. We all had a group discussion before we started that it was gonna be kind of a, a lighter, jovial very chaotic, fun, silly campaign. Um, and that's just something I like comedy and like doing bits during campaigns is just something I kind of fall back on. It's like my safety net. Um, but I would love to see what Blades in the Dark looks like if we're doing it like a, a darker tone with like a emotionally invested storyline, that kind of thing. So that's something that I would like to explore in the future i think part of that was i'm the same way of like i fall back on like doing the bit doing the comedy. <laughs> well i think um i don't know if y'all have played oh geez what is it dishonored 
it's a PlayStation 4 gritty steampunky. It's one of the inspirations for Blades in the Dark. Um, and it's very like you are an assassin and you're going to go through this creepy Victorian place and set up excellent murders that don't look like they're you. Um, but it's uh, it's even like the the place is called Dunwall. Um, and this is Duskfall, uh, and there's like a lot of, there's a lot of similarities, but it's a very gritty, grimy sort of feel. Um, and I'm excited, uh, to dive into blades in that way, some way. So Dex, maybe we should do that. Whatever. I think it's, I mean, this is something that people talk about in theater all the time is the, like, you can actually get to deeper places with comedy than you can with tragedy. And I think like, with the setup of these characters, I think had we gone on for 30 sessions, we probably would have gotten to the place where like all of us were sobbing periodically over every couple episodes, like uh, in a healthy way. I think it would have been like a cathartic kind of situation, but like we all had these really interesting ties to other NPCs and to the world as a whole. And like, in a world where consequences are major like this, even if your characters are just bits and just humor, eventually you are going to get to the place where you're like, well, I did something that was funny, but that caused a major repercussion and now I have to deal with the consequences of that action and really lean into the narrative drama that that can bring. Yeah, I think that's something that's really hard to accomplish with like a shorter campaign. Because, like, for it to really be hard-hitting, you got to, like, get more into the characters and also get the time to develop those characters more. And, like, that's just that's just the nature of a shorter campaign. Yeah, on that subject, I was just going to say, I think you're both bringing up great points because I thought even while we were playing, I was like, oh, man, I love this, like, Philomela thing. And I was like, I just don't think we have, like, space for it to become something, but I can totally see in a like long form campaign how it could evolve in a really amazing way from like a bit into an actual like relationship and uh like really cool narrative so yeah i can i could see the like bones of that in there and i loved it maybe she'll even stop crying (laughs) someday (laughs) She's just to get over that breakup, but like y'all just y'all just kept reminding her of it. That the comedy tone of it uh, allowed us to have a couple of moments that really stepped away from that in a way that I think was more striking. Um, I think uh, especially like the ending that Tess proposed for Marina's character. Um, I mean, was a good ending, but also it struck me the fact that, like, part of it was, oh, and I got my conniving cousin murdered. <laughs> awesome. And that was just, like, striking to me because we had kept up the jovial tone of it. Um, and I think, too, in that regard, I didn't plan for it to come out that way, but the interaction with the the corpse snatcher that was part of my character's, like, background rival um i stepped away from that little scene that we did with elliot and i was like oh that was actually a lot more intense than i thought it would be just because we had been been jokes and comedy the whole time and then it was like oh okay okay that was a tone shift and then we like browbeat this guy it was like oh yeah interesting i mean that line was so much more like raw and powerful because like 
everything else was so funny that that was like super serious, like, oh, damn, Wick, go off. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like it was accidental, but I think that that is kind of the, the, the drive that I, or the point I was trying to get to is that accidentally coming across something that was more of an emotional moment just because the comedy set us up to step into those other moments in a really interesting way. I mean, I think that also kind of ties into like with what happened with the heart in the end of like everybody having their own separate ideas of what to do a lot of like some more serious than others. And it was like, oh, this is there's so many ways that this could go. But then with Gabe being the one to win it, it went in a funny direction versus that could have gone in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, the the last section that I have here um, is just cast. Do you have any questions for Elliot and Elliot? I mean, we this game is very transparent, so I don't know if that'll really apply here. Um, so cast, do you have any questions for Elliot and Elliot? Do you have any questions for the cast? Was it tough coming up for scenarios? Um for repercussions for our actions, basically, since we were so chaotic. Um, I feel like in this improv heavy style of um, role playing game, it can be very easy to like let the party create um, like an idea of like, okay, this is how we want to do the score. And then it becomes very easy for you to just be like, well, here's an obstacle for it. Figure out how you're going to like figure out how that how you uh, how you change your idea now. And you didn't do that. You made everything seem very organic. It flowed really well. And I wondered if that was like very tough for you because of just how off the wall we were being. Like, yes and no. Some some were easier than others. Like I like I brought up the example of like, oh, Milos failed the role. And of course it's Philo Milo who comes to the door. Like that was like that had been building up for a while and it was like, bam, quick. Like I know exactly what the answer to that is. Uh and other ones like other ones, it doesn't seem immediately clear, like, what the consequence is supposed to be. Like, I think when Moreno went to go and check out the Mustang, like, alone and found the Horde, I think I struggled to come up with a consequence for that more. But, like, it really much depends on the situation. Like, some situations, it's a, it's a lot more obvious, like, what the consequence is going to be. Kind of related to that, I was curious to ask and this is partly as a like fellow GM, Elliot, um, I w- wanted to ask how much uh, you sort of prepped before uh, the game in terms of what the like uh, story or the scores would consist of. Like I had the like the basics of them, like here's here's the silver nails Here's like what's up with them. It's like, and here's a circle. There's a circle of flame. Here's what they want. So kind of like having the different like NPC groups and their goals, who they are. Some of that came from the book, putting them together and having that particular like, oh, the circle of flame is going like wants the silver nails to go and do this job. Putting them together is something I came up with and just kind of getting some general like framework to start out with like here's a starting scene to jump into here's where like the silver nails are hanging out so like it was mostly just like having like knowing what is going on around the crew and also just like we need to start things so here is an, an opening place it was a lot more like knowing what it is that all of the npcs want and i think the only other thing was like 
uh, there's a fortune roll, which like is one of the roles that a GM can do. So it was like, okay, you're all leaving the silver nails to go do their thing. Let's uh, roll this and see how they did. That's a two. <laughs> Didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to figure out uh, what went wrong. A lot of stuff. On a similar but unrelated note, um, a lot of campaigns are combat heavy. And I think like a lot of campaigns rely on having those like big action scenes. Um, as a GM, what was it like not having like the combat to fall back on, for lack of a better word? I think like combat often drives narrative forward in a really in a way that I think actually takes a lot of agency away from a GM. But, like, I don't think we had any combat scenes at all. Maybe the one with the um, possessed woman whose name I'm forgetting. And that wasn't even, like, really combat. It was just kind of, like, tense arguiness. I mean, that's the thing that, like, I do in, like, my games more. Like, a lot of the games that I run don't have much combat. Or, like, the combat is more like more, more like that situation. Not, like, tense, but, like... Uh, like, I will do, like, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, and it's like, oh, it's just the two PCs, like, f- fighting. <laughs> and, like, some of some of it is, like, like if I'm like, GMing Monster of the Week or, or something, like, yes, there is, like, a combat, but even some of those, uh, the players have just been like, what if we just talk to the monster instead? It's like, I like having the unconventional, like, ways to get around a problem and, like, just talking to people. I find that more interesting than combat a lot of the time. I feel like in in this system, as opposed to something like D&D, where the combat is like a whole separate kind of category of thing that you do, and there's a lot of math involved, um, here, it's literally the same dies, right? So it would be like a scrap roll or a, a prowl or a, one of those rolls. Yeah, so it's, it, it uses the same things, so it allows you to have like... We had a lot of social conflict. Um, like it's not like we didn't have anything to overcome. It's just we were able to use our non-combat stats, if that makes sense. So it feels like there was still like that drive there. I feel like it's more of you know how there are action films where you would see the gritty and gory fight sequences, and there are certain directors who are just super into it, and then there are other things like feel like the Blaze in the Dark is the Guy Ritchie action film of the roleplay games where like violence just happens off screen. <laughs> like you just roll the die and then we're just gonna be like, so that happened. You either you either won or you lost. As opposed to like having the focus on there and then like choreograph a whole thing. Yeah, well, and it's, yeah, it's also, like, if you're getting in a fight, it's generally just, like, the one roll. You're not going, like, in D&D, like, blow by blow. It's just cool. You're attacking a person, here's how it goes. And that roll, like, encompasses both, like, the player character, and if you're attacking an NPC, like, it also encompasses, like, what the NPC does. It's super neat. We discussed this on our GM Transparency episode, but there's a... um, John Harper talks about, like... Do you want to just like stab people in a montage and keep going because you're here to steal something? Great. Do one roll. Do you want to go blow by blow because it's getting tense and the shootouts getting a little hairy? Cool. Do that. Like it's really like what's the style of the scene and what's the most dramatic and not like let's have 
an hour of combat that actually takes 30 seconds of game time, which I favor. I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it kind of ties back to the conversation we had earlier about mechanics, about it being kind of narratively oriented. Um, I think, too... I guess this is less of a question and more of a statement. Um, (laughs) But I can only assume, Elliot, that as uh, as the GM for a game like this, where the mechanics are really set up to new to negotiate with players, I feel like we had more agency in terms of determining what happened to us as much as you did in terms of telling us what it was going to be, that it suited more your play style of being able to have conversations with the players. At least that's what I felt like being on the receiving end of your DMing. I've had people who are very, this is what happens and you take it. And I did not think that that was your kind of setup. Yeah, no, I like I like it being a conversation where like everyone's cool with what's happening. Excellent. Anything else, folks? Um, thank you all so, so much for joining us. Uh, next week, we'll actually have a special interview with James D'Amato to discuss his recent book, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide. Uh, so join us for that. And then the week after that, we'll be diving into Bluebeard's Bride. So we'll see you soon with some more fun games. And thanks, everyone, for joining and for playing. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and it's mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. Our Blades in the Dark campaign features Elliot Peterson as GM, T.P. Huth as Princess Marina Alana Graciel Valerio of the Greyfire line, Whitney Lane Meltz as Wick, Nicholas Orvis as Milos Jedowin, Dex Fan as Gabe, and Ren Shaw as Ellery Crow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at dndramanerds. Check out cast bios on our website, dungeonsanddramanerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. 